Hello and welcome back everyone. Today I am joined by Chrissy Samatsidou, who is the Vice President of Global Product Management and Market Development for the Pharma Services Group at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Chrissy has been with the company since 2010 in, in increasingly senior commercial roles, so there's no one more qualified to talk to us today about all things marketing, metrics and measurement. Welcome Chrissy. Hi Laura, thanks for the invitation. I'm very happy to be with you. I've been with Thermo, as you mentioned, over 12 years now, almost 13. Most of my career, either in um, business management or portfolio management and marketing. I've been leading marketing teams for the last eight years in our laboratory products and life science solutions group. And recently, mm -hmm. in May of this year, I changed group and I am... Uh, with the pharma services group. So we have a pharmaceutical services group at Thermo Fisher Scientific. Think about it as a CDMO type of business. And mm -hmm. we're going to market under the Patheon brand for, for this business. So I joined, as I mentioned in May, and my task has been to literally develop the marketing department. I've been doing that, uh, developing and leading marketing teams, predominantly for life science solutions, tangible products that our customers mm -hmm. uh, in research or um, industrial, preclinical uh, use. This is my first experience with truly a services organization, and I'm very, very happy with the opportunity. What are the differences that you are seeing right now immediately in the way you have to go to market with a service versus a product? Yeah, there, there are some that are very, uh, very big. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, marketing, you know, my philosophy about marketing, it's a customer driven uh, function. We need to engage the customer, either being an internal customer like our channels to market or obviously our mm -hmm. ultimate customer out there, the people who use our services or products. So we need to understand and engage. What are the differences that you are seeing right now immediately in the way you have to go to market with a service versus a product? Yeah, there, there are some that are very, uh, very big. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you know my philosophy about marketing. It's a customer-driven function. We need to engage the customer, either being an internal customer like our channels to market or obviously our mm -hmm. ultimate customer out there, the people who use our services or products. So we need to understand and engage them at every step of the way. But be in services, particularly the services we're after, which is drug development, manufacturing, and uh, commercialization, we have, a, relatively speaking, a smaller set of customers. All the big pharma, all the big uh, biotech, and also the smaller mm -hmm. and emerging biotech, uh, our offering is completely under GMP, and it's more engaging with a partner. It's more offering a partnership as a product than a tangible, you know, product in a box. So I've been used to develop and launch these products in a box or an instrument mm -hmm. that is either on a bench or standing alone or even a software, which all of those examples are very tangible, yeah? Uh, and you can get requirements, you can develop, you can test and launch. With these mm -hmm. huge services, it's very different. I mean, you almost... 
a lot of times you end up developing the product as the as you go based on the customer need. And I'll give you an example. In some cases, we are building a facility for a customer, a big pharma, to manufacture mm-hmm. a vaccine or another drug in it. So the product offerings changes radically from helping them develop a formulation, packaging it in a sterile type of uh, form like a syringe, or building a facility for them to come and manufacture. So it's uh, it's very interesting, both from the and very different from the product development and product innovation perspective, all the way mm-hmm. to going to market and creating awareness and demand for our services solutions in, uh, out there. Oh, Chrissy, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. So I'm going to go with my first one that I wrote down, which was, so I love when you said you're developing the product as the relationship develops. What data points are you using to inform that decision-making as you're going? Is it just based on one-to-one relationships or what else goes into that? Yeah, it depends. Depending on the type of customer and the stage of the relationship, it can be all of the above. Most of the time, we assign project managers, in addition to our sales, who are all of them highly competent technically. So from from sales executives, we assign to those customers and those uh, for, for these relationships, as I said, project managers who are also highly technical. So we are in constant communication. And the key to successful partnership is exactly that, is to be in ongoing communication so that, one, you understand, two, you do it in a timely fashion. So you don't mm-hmm. have to go and fix. You can get the right steps forward. With We have something that we call, let's be right the first time every time. So it's key to our business not to go back and correct. So constant communication from the moment of where we start discussing an idea or a proposal to the moment that we sign the contract all the way to every step of the way as we execute the contract, it's an absolutely must to be in an ongoing two-way communication. So, wow. so for that particular example, it's more traditional uh, engagement uh, in the, the client and, or the partner and us. Mm, interesting. So that point, be right the first time. Now, that is actually pretty opposite to how a lot of people approach marketing these days in that it tends to be get something out and then optimize over time. But you're saying, no, it has to be absolutely this is our goal, uh, Laura. This is an aspiration. We're striving yeah. towards that because I'll tell you why that is more important here in this business. There is, of course, a lot of money involved, uh, uh, huge effort in terms of time, people, money. I mean, developing drugs, either being traditional small molecules or being new new technologies like um, from biomolecules all the way to mRNA, cell therapies, etc. Uh, there is a huge effort, again, in people, time, money, everything. So mm-hmm. there's all of that at stake. But more importantly, if we fail, us or our partners, in any of these steps, the ultimate beneficiary of all of these, at the end of the day, is somebody who is waiting for a drug for a cure of a disease or whatever element they are battling. And if we don't, among, among our services is clinical trial logistics. 
or mm-hmm. you know, and, and packaging everything in small scale to do clinical trials. If we are not ready, ideally, every time with the first effort, we are delaying the drug to the patient, mm-hmm. either being drug in an experimental stage and for a clinical trial, or being a manufactured package drug to be distributed back to pharma to send it to the ultimate customer, who is the person who is waiting for that drug. So oh. for this business, it's even more important that we do things right the first time and no trial and error. <laughs> I get it. No, I understand. And how do you make sure that your employees, who are at the coal phase, if you like, have that at the forefront of their mind in every engagement? How do you make sure that everybody's aligned around that single vision? It's not, it's not easy. If we say it's easy, uh, it takes constant effort across all levels of the organization. And it starts with clarity. Clarity on the goal, and as I described it, you know, enabling the actual patient out there. So clarity around the goal and constant reminder via a multitude of ways, um, use cases, um, testimonials, you name it. But it, it requires constant reminder that what we do matters from that angle. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you're a marketer. It doesn't matter if you are... Uh, obviously, a sales uh, person, or if you are back in R and D or in operations, we are all necessary. We are all needed to help our partners develop and deliver these drugs. So, so back to your question, it's not easy, and we are trying with again to make sure that the message is loud and clear, and with every opportunity, the leaders at least to walk the talk, and also we're trying, as I said, with whatever tools we have. Uh, to make sure even our employees in the back office are aware. People who are at the front office, like sales, marketing, so everything helps from us walking around and mm-hmm. talking and engaging, and the clearer the message, the easier it is. Mm-hmm. From that, all the way to having posters, signs, videos playing in our factories to remind our people of what ultimately who is the beneficiary. And do you measure that message, like how it is communicated and how it gets out into the market? We do. I mean, if you start from the internal people, you know, this is corporate. It's our CEO who was the visionary of this. Every Mm -hmm. year we measure employee engagement. We have a survey every October. It's pushed from corporate. But our people have the opportunity to voice their uh, opinions about how good we're doing as leaders, or how Mm -hmm. good we are with enabling our customers. We do measure customer allegiance scores, like net promoter scores. So a lot of our customer sentiment, we get it from the customer allegiance score, which is happening with every opportunity a customer engages with us. Right. So for example, if somebody purchases a service or a product, if somebody interacts with a salesperson or a technical support customer service, we survey them in terms of the experience that they had. So it, it, it's a combination of a number of tools, processes uh, that we are trying to uh, gauge uh, internal and external stakeholders' engagement and satisfaction. Interesting. So you mentioned surveys and CSAT scores and NPS, uh, that invariably is measuring what people say, right? So what they think and what they say. 
Are you also measuring how they behave? Because often that's a different thing from actually what they say. So I'm intrigued to dig into that a bit more. Yeah, of course. And depending on the business, we have measured either proactively or reactively, if you wish, mm-hmm. customer be- or we're trying to, to understand customer behavior. Uh, for mm-hmm. example, when I was in my previous role in life science solutions, uh, some of the businesses I supported, we engage customers in listening labs where you observe the customer, do the experiment or do whatever they try to communicate to you verbally. It's very yeah. different to see them do something in their own environment, in their own workflows than having them tell you. So that's an example of proactive Uh, trying to understand customer need and customer behavior. In today's era, we have digital means, correct, to measure customer engagement and customer behavior. So Mm -hmm. we have a number of tools when it comes to the marketing digital technology stack that are helping us understand customer engagement online with our content. You know, this is very telling. Our content, uh, anything we put out there, so we definitely measure customer engagement and we give opportunity for customers to provide feedback, either online or, again, via our um, net promoter score. Interesting. And I know that you guys are very, very particular around data privacy, data security and GDPR. How do you as a a division of a very large company go about rolling out that kind of program that balances, you know, insights for you versus data privacy? Oh, at Thermo Fisher, you know, we have have literally very strong ethic when it comes to this. So we follow every rule and regulation from the Physicians Act all the way to the recent data Mm -hmm. privacy issues in Europe. Everywhere where it's required, we do measure and follow after we get customer consent. Mm-hmm. So customers opt in, in other words, when a, a lot of our content, particularly on uh, on Patheon.com, is gated. And mm-hmm. so we get the consent from customers. I think particularly for pharma services, we develop a lot of um, driving thought leadership and a lot of educational content, which is very mm-hmm. relevant to our customers. And mm-hmm. for the obvious reasons, we have it gated. We have it gated for protection, liability purposes, but also for, I mean, I'll be very transparent, for the reasons of, our, of getting to know our audience. So maybe because of the value that the content is promising, we get really good conversion rates. Okay, I'd like to take a step back a little bit because you mentioned at the beginning that you are in the process of setting up this marketing department. Is that completely from scratch? More or less, <laughs> particularly in this business. And, and you know, it's not, um, again, there is nothing that I'm saying here that it's, it's private information to the corporation. I'll give you a little bit of a background. The Pharma Services Group got established a few years ago, not too long ago, uh, mm-hmm. after a number of acquisitions. But the primary acquisition was Patheon. Patheon, mm-hmm. a, a big CDMO player at the time in the space. We had some additional acquisition, but the the bulk of the acquisition was Patheon. Then we had also what used to be Fisher Clinical Trials. So we combined Mm -hmm. Patheon and Fisher Clinical Trials and we created the group that exists today. So the group itself is relatively, the business itself is relatively new. And Mm -hmm. the CDMO services, it's new to Thermo Fisher as a whole. 
So, so there was marketing. There were also some changes, etc. But to make the long story short, yes, there was a little bit of marketing. So my charter is to establish the marketing department for the future for this organization. So if you can say it's almost from scratch. So literally, I went now back to the drawing board, starting with a bigger picture, where we want to go, yeah, who we are, where we are going, why the customers should care about that. And uh, then, okay, to support this vision for the organization, what do I need to do from the marketing charter? Yeah, I need to make sure we... We manage our current portfolio and we continue while in parallel continue to drive innovation. We need to make sure the marketing department drives awareness and um, customer mindset. We drive uh, the funnel. Yeah, our charter mm-hmm. includes driving demand generation for our channels to market. In parallel, we need to ensure we maintain certain level of marketing excellence, correct? We need to mm-hmm. stay up to speed with the market developments out there. And all of that underpinned by a culture of continuous customer experience improvements. Because as a marketing department, we control a lot of touch points. So we need to make sure we're driven by the customer on decision making mm-hmm. and satisfied customer within every touch point. So with that as the charter, I'm trying to develop literally the right organization. I just finished my first round of building my team. I have my leadership team filled out and we are adding this team again towards building the marketing organization that is necessary to support this business for the strategy that they put forward for the next five years. Oh, how exciting. So how have you gone about defining what the goals are over that five-year period? Because that is a, a... I say a long time, it will go very quickly. But how are you future-proofing all of that kind of stuff as well? Lots of yeah, questions in there, so I'm sorry. <laughs> our, our strategic cycle is around five years. So mm-hmm. from the marketing angle, I completely align with the business strategic goals, okay? So knowing where this business needs to go, and I can give you examples that they are almost like obvious. The last 10, even 15, 20 years, organizations digitize, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, digitize from the back office to the front office. So in our case, for the organization to achieve the five-year goals, we need better, more efficient ways of driving the funnel. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And better ways mm-hmm. to engage the customer across the funnel. So we need to develop big funnels that move fast so that we can enable our channels to market to achieve their commitments. So knowing that, obviously, I'm building the organization accordingly. As you can imagine, I'm building a digital team that it's up to date with the appropriate digital tech stack. E-business is a big part of it. Analytics, mm-hmm. analytics is a huge part of this new team. Interesting. So how are you handling analytics with the developments in Europe, for example, that say Google Analytics is now illegal in Italy, as an example. Do you have one system globally or do you have different systems in each geography? No, we have one system globally with the local controls for data privacy, but it's one Mm -hmm. system. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And did you decide which systems that you wanted or was that delegated to a different team. Oh, you mean from an analytics standpoint? 
Yeah. And yeah, general no, Martech stack. General general Martech, yeah, yeah, which is which is an ongoing effort for us. No, uh, remembering what I just said earlier that this business was acquired um Recently, you can imagine it came in with potentially a digital tech stack that was different than than what we use at Thermo Fisher. So mm-hmm. we are trying as much as possible for every business I manage. Let me put it this way. We have freedom. We have freedom. If there is a tool that we need as a business, we have freedom to invest in it. So one of the topics that we've talked about before when we've been on other podcasts was um, impact-based marketing. And I know that this is a topic that you feel very strongly about. Can you explain what that means to you and how you are using that in your new department? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To define the term simply is, it's very self-explanatory, impact-based marketing investments. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to measure every marketing activity and then learn and then invest in the future uh, in the most impactful activities. Reprioritize, in other words, our investments on the tactics, activities, projects that they have the biggest impact for the particular business or project that we're trying to, to accomplish. The reason behind this was it was more realizing that in the organization such as Thermo Fisher, and I'll tell you, I worked for smaller companies too, um, mm-hmm. getting funding, getting funding, it's a competitive game. E- even if you are in academia and you're writing a grant, or if you, wherever you are, wherever you mm-hmm. are, there is always limited funding, and there are multiple groups that they are pitching uh, towards getting the funding. So I realized early on in my marketing career that, you know, remember the days we would hear terms like marketing is uh, art. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> I'm a scientist. I will convert marketing to science. <laughs> so oh, I love that you say that. So, um, so again, remember, I'm trying to get funding and I'm telling them, give me funding because I'll do X, Y, and Z. Uh, okay. The X, Y, and Z needed to be measurable. It needed to translate mm-hmm. something tangible. So I learned that lesson early in my career. And I tell my team nowadays, typically, there are no limitations of funding. Good business cases are the limiting factor. So uh, my, my team knows, don't come and ask for money unless you have the business case developed. Yeah. So you need to know what you're looking for. You have to have a goal and you need to have ways to measure it. So when it back to the investments, you know, we're trying to measure everything. So twofold is the benefit for this culture as an outcome of this culture. If you measure and continue to improve, you maximize the impact of your current funding, which is always limited. Number two, measuring and having the data helps you get new and incremental funding, helps you get at the negotiating table where they distribute the funds with the right ammunition. Because if you don't do that, it's a futile exercise. You go and ask for money. For what return? And Laura, don't take me wrong. It's not, people may think, okay, we cannot measure all the time everything. But when I say measure, you know what? Even if we, we talked about earlier measuring awareness, we can do these things. But Put things down that you are aiming for that and that's how you measure. It's not always revenue. Uh, mm-hmm. It can be top of the funnel, but you need to be able to communicate 
a return and value from that return. I love, I'm standing up and I'm applauding. This is wonderful. And everybody take note because this is exactly how you should be approaching this. My first question on this is how do you get that culture into everybody in the marketing department? Because a lot of people coming in to marketing with a creative mindset, they don't think, how can I measure this if I make this recommendation for a campaign? How are you getting your team on board with this approach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it has been with various team. I had various experiences. I'll tell you the following, though. It's not a trivial effort. It takes time, resilience, and it takes engagement from senior leadership all the way to every employee. So in other words, Mm -hmm. it's not something to the change that's necessary around digitizing marketing and around uh, driving impact-based marketing investments. That's how I call them. It's not a trivial effort, not to be underestimated. So when I go and talk to senior executives, to the C-suite, if you wish, that Mm -hmm. is a pleasant surprise from their end because they don't expect from marketing a lot of numbers. So, So that's a good experience typically, but I engage them into helping me drive that culture. When it comes to my leadership uh, and people in my team, I engage them in every step of the way. So they become part of this, you know what I mean? And it's easy to, it's easy to, to get them along because they see even the most difficult ones. If you explain the rationale, they get to see the difference in the approach and the potential benefit at the end. Yes. For for the marketers lower in the organization, you know, more the, the managers, the senior managers, etc. It may take more effort, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make sure they are enabled to do that. What I mean by that, you know what? Okay, if you don't know what how to measure, you know, we bring we bring people or we some of our more senior marketers train them. They train them on what it means to have a funnel and being able to put targets. I mean, putting targets typically is pulling teeth, you know, when it comes to marketers. Mm-hmm. They worry so much about it. So one, I'm trying. We're trying to train them. Two, we're trying to make them feel. It typically is fear that doesn't allow them. So we're trying yes. to make them feel they are supported. If they are supported by us, then you know what? They, they will put targets down. It's, that is really a critical point because if there's a fear that they, they're going to show that they're failing, that they're not achieving those targets, exactly. that's the problem. Exactly. So, and that, that has been, when I said different teams perform differently before, some teams, they see the opportunity and it's like, oh my God, you know, I can demonstrate my value. Others, and depending on the combination of the personalities, they are like, oh my God, that will be in my performance review and I will fail. Yes. So if you, if you enable them with training and make them realize that, no, 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 this is for all of us to do better. And their job will be easier at the end, you know. The better they invest, the more money they will have, you know. When you enable them to see these, and at the end of the day, if you if you institute a culture that allows for people to try without being penalized, mm-hmm. th- then it's Interesting. I love that. I love that. I mean, it's one of the themes of this podcast that keeps coming up. It's that you should be allowed to fail 
but it's Absolutely. how you learn from it and keep going. And that is the foundation of a lot of agile marketing. It is. It's yes. set a hypothesis, go out, test it, go see what works, and what doesn't. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's having that culture driven from the top down is absolutely critical. You're right. Do you have one person on your team responsible for this sort of operational side of marketing or is it just through the whole team? No, I do. I do. I do. Actually, I have I have two dedicated roles, uh, which everything we're talking about kind of falls under. One is I have an analytics pillar under my leader for digital and e-business, because obviously mm-hmm. a lot of the analytics we measure are under there from through digital media. So we have a team that's dedicated to analytics, but I also have an operations and marketing operations leader. So oh, a lot of what we discussed, a lot of annual processes, trainings, technologies, all of that are, is, uh, this leader is helping me with that, uh, all, all of that. Interesting. And is that person from within the industry or is they coming from external? Actually, good question. Without giving the name out, obviously, it's a person who joined me from within Thermo Fisher, but three, four years ago came from outside. Yeah. That's really interesting. Because everybody that I have come across who's in a marketing operations role has come from outside the scientific space. Yeah. In fact, most of them are from a B2C market, bringing that performance yeah. marketing mindset to the role. I, and exactly. I love I, I love seeing that change in our industry. Uh, yeah, uh, me too. No, no, you, you are spot on on that one. Yeah. So perfect. So, Chrissy, we, we're getting towards the end of our time together. So I just wanted to ask you one question because we always ask the question of our interviewee from the previous interviewee. So yeah, yeah. Um, Paul Kipax at Malvern Panalytical asked, how do you communicate real achievement and deeper motivations behind your companies and products? Everyone likes to claim that their company is going to make the world a better place, but how do you convey true sincerity to a customer? This is a, this is a great question. And I don't think we got the chance to touch on this earlier in this discussion, but we touched on customer centricity and voice of the customer, etc. Again, what I'm doing now, I'm a much more senior leader, more seasoned marketer. I didn't necessarily do it when I was much younger, but the last maybe 10 years, uh, uh, Laura, when I embark in big programs that I need Mm -hmm. to take to the market, either being new product development or campaigns, particularly campaigns. I mean, for new product development, we always include voice of the customer. For campaigns, Mm -hmm. And developing and communicating a brand identity, the value proposition, the differentiation. Typically, organizations used to do it themselves. They will always, you know, they they think they know it, you know, and and they will put it on a piece of paper and take it out. I stopped doing it about, as I said, almost 10 years ago. For big campaigns that take a lot of new creative and new narrative, substantial Mm -hmm. narrative to the market, I always do a study. Um, even recently, we just did the study for this business as we're trying to reposition our value proposition. So we engage in qualitative and maybe quantitative, if it's worth the effort, engagement of customers. Depending on the problem, don't assume. Remember, we talked about assuming earlier. Mm-hmm. If you start there, then developing 
the offending value prop or whatever story you're trying to develop, it's easy because you are driven by the true need. So, yes. I mean, very sincerely, I do that pretty much on every major project that requires we take a major body of communication out to the market. I love that because you're focusing on it being authentic then. You're not just making something up in a room. It's Absolutely being driven not. by fact. Exactly. And we tailor the message around that versus, you know, tell them, okay, we have everything you need. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I love it. Okay, if you could ask your peers one question to learn from their experience, what would it be? I'll tell you, I thought about it because in my current role, one of the challenges is balancing the short-term with long-term. I mean, I would love to hear perspectives from other marketing or business leaders of how they achieve that or what are their lessons learned if if they are not achieving it. uh, Because there is a constant, uh, we talked earlier about strategy and longer term. And those plans, Mm -hmm. even in the current situation, they are in place. But we we get so many distractions day in, day out. uh, Mm -hmm. um, And we're getting so much pressure to enable stakeholders in the immediate three months, six months, you know, us being public company also. So it takes a lot to be able to manage delivering to the short term without losing, without getting off track when it comes to the longer term. So I would love to hear other people's perspective around that. Great question. I will be putting it to my next interviewee and I'll circle back and let you know the answer. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to our continued conversations. Absolutely. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye.